time uh, Friday night and Saturday morning at the Apologetics Conference this weekend. Uh, it was really insightful. Uh, there were really insightful videos, very helpful discussion uh, amongst everyone. And so thank you to those of you that uh, came out and made that possible. Uh, our goal is to equip each person um, to be mature in Christ and to be able to share the gospel more effectively. And so hopefully that, uh, those videos and the discussion were, uh, were able to, to do that uh, in your life uh, to some extent. So uh, Ephesians 6, that's where we're going to be this morning. Open up there if you're not there yet. I have only ever thrown one actual punch in a real fight in my entire life. And the stakes were high. The year was 1991, and I was 10 years old and in the fourth grade, and another 10-year-old boy had backed me into a corner of a room after church, and he was kicking me with intent to harm. And I did the only thing that I knew to do, and I cocked my right fist back and swung with all my 10-year-old might. And I, my right fist connected to his left cheek, and he landed full onto the floor with my one punch. This is a true story, by the way. Do you guys remember this? Oh. My dad does, my mom doesn't. She blocked it out. And with him vanquished on the floor, I ran from the room. And of course, his parents called my parents that afternoon. <laughs> and that night, we had evening service at church. I tried to make things right by drawing him a picture during the service. <laughs> so that's my one experience. And I figure there's no need to throw another punch because I went out on top, right? <laughs> no need to do it anymore. And actually, I'm very thankful that I have not encountered any other situations in my life that have required me to really defend myself and actually throw a punch. And the reason for that is not just that I don't like fighting, it's that I am not equipped at all <laughs> to physically fight anyone. I've never taken martial arts lessons. Uh, I have no self-defense classes in my background. Uh, I am not equipped. But I know some of you actually are equipped. We have several law enforcement officers, and I know some of the, uh, some of the rest of you are equipped. And you have prepared in your life. You've taken lessons. You've taken classes. You've trained and you have actually prepared for the potential of a physical altercation and you would be ready for that. And so my lack of preparation versus your intentional preparation makes all the difference. Um, some of you would be supremely confident and are supremely confident when you're required to enter into a physical fight because you have the necessary tools at your disposal to know what to do and to handle yourself. You're ready. Now, God has actually, it may surprise you, God has actually created us to fight. He made us as human beings 
to enter into combat, to enter into defense and to fight. I gave you this verse last week in Genesis chapter 2 regarding our work, but I want to show it to you again. It says, the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it. And we talked about that last week, but notice this second reason that God put Adam in the garden. He put Adam in the garden to keep the garden. Now, what did God mean by that? What was Adam's role in keeping the garden? Well, it means that he was supposed to defend the garden. He was supposed to protect it. It was a holy place. It was a a temple-like place where God came down and met with man. And Adam was supposed to preserve that. He was supposed to keep it from anything unclean that would enter in. And he was supposed to keep it holy. And so he was literally supposed to defend the garden from intrusion. And what was the problem that happened in Genesis 3? Adam failed in this task. He did not keep the garden free from the serpent. And when he saw the serpent interacting with his wife, he did nothing about it and didn't obey this command to keep the garden. He failed. And he failed to fight the serpent with what he had been equipped with. Right after this verse in Genesis chapter 2, God gives Adam very clear commands. And Adam was supposed to defend his wife and defend the garden by using the commands and the truth that God had given him. He was equipped with everything he needed, and he didn't utilize the weapons that God had given him for the fight. And over the next couple of weeks, we're going to see in Ephesians chapter 6 that you and I are engaged in a fight. And we are engaged in a battle with a very sinister enemy and a very powerful enemy. We're also going to see in this passage, Ephesians 6, verses 10 through 20, that God has equipped us. It's not like me entering into physical combat. God has equipped each one of us with all that we need to be able to stand firm and to be able to resist the very powerful and sinister enemy that wants to destroy us. And so in Ephesians 6, verses 10 through 20, the next few weeks, we're going to see four tactics Necessary to resist our spiritual enemy with God's strength. Four tactics necessary to resist our spiritual enemy with God's strength. And you can see the first one of those, which is the only one we'll cover today, in verse 10. Rely on God's power at work in you. Look with me at the beginning of verse 10 here. He says, finally... Now, Paul here uses this word because he's pulling together the entire argument of the book. I mean, this is is the end. He's drawing everything to a conclusion of all that he said in the entire book of Ephesians. And so if you were to go through this passage, and you'll see this over the next couple weeks, but if you were to compare this passage with what has come before it, you will see that often Paul uses words and allusions in these verses that connect back to previous parts of the book of Ephesians. And so he's kind of pulling everything together and he's making this this last argument to you. And he's trying to tell you, to motivate you to action based on what you have heard previously. So it's really a final call. It's a summary, it's a conclusion, and it's a final call to you and I to get off the couch 
and to actually engage in the combat that is in front of us, to act on what you and I have read and what we've heard from the letter to the church at Ephesus. So what have we read and heard? Maybe the best way to summarize it, I think, is our our series title, Recall and React. So in chapters 1 to 3, Paul tells us to recall the unbelievable grace that we have received from God. All of the benefits of our union with Christ and our salvation in him. You and I are adopted into God's family. We have been chosen before the foundation of the world. We've been brought into a relationship with God through Christ by faith. Our sins are forgiven. We have an eternal inheritance in heaven where God is going to pour out his grace on us for all of eternity and demonstrate just how kind he has been. And so in chapters 1 to 3, Paul is saying you need to think about those things. You need to recall those truths in your daily life. And in light of those benefits, all that we have because of Christ, then in chapter 4, all the way through chapter 6, he turns to daily living. And here he gives us five different commands to walk. We're to walk in unity, in love, in light, in holiness, and in wisdom. The benefits that we have received cause us to react in a particular way. It changes our lives. Changes who we are to the core of who we are. And we now walk differently. And I think Paul would say, if your life has not changed... If you're not functionally walking differently, then you really have never received the benefits of chapters 1 to 3. You haven't come into God's family because his children live differently than who they were and than the culture around them. And so Paul is is pulling all of that together here. And he's giving us a final motivating illustration and call And he's describing the spiritual warfare that we're we're a part of as we we live in this world today. And so he, in verse 10, he sets the theme for this entire section. And it's so important that we understand this theme before we enter into the particular pieces of armor. All right, let's read verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Now, let's get technical here for a second, all right? So you can see his first command there in verse 10, be strong. Now that sounds like, and it is, a command to us telling us to do something. But the thing about this command is that it's actually passive, all right? It's not active, it's passive. So what that means is that the action that he's telling us to do actually happens to us. Someone else is the primary actor, and we're the recipients of that action. The action happens to us from an external source. That's what it means to be in the passive. So you could better maybe translate this, or at least understand this, to say, finally, be strengthened. And you're strengthened from an external source. It's not you just welling up all the motivation and emotion that you can in order to be strong. You are strengthened from an outside source. So where does that strength come from? 
Look further. Be strong. Be strengthened in the Lord. It comes from the Lord, but specifically there, it comes from our union with him. So you've seen throughout the book of Ephesians, these little phrases, in Christ, in him. And we've talked over and over again about how those phrases indicate our union with Christ. We receive all the benefits that we have in salvation because we're united to Christ, because we're joined to him. So what Paul is saying here in this final section, this summary section, is he's saying you will be strengthened by your union with Christ. That's where your strength come from, comes from. And you're strengthened as you consistently draw from the reality of your union, your joining to Christ. So keep in mind, when you think about your union with Christ, what that means is that Jesus accomplishes all of these different works. He dies, and you and I die to sin along with him. We are along for the ride. What happens to him happens to us. So he rises from the dead to new life. And you and I spiritually rise with him to new and different life, to a different walk. We're joined to him. And because we're joined to him, we're united to him, he's able to convey and give to us all the benefits of salvation. And he's able to give all of those benefits to us and to convey those benefits to us because of his sovereign, almighty power. Look further in verse 10. Finally, be strengthened, be strong in the Lord, in your union with Christ, and in the strength of his might. So this is not a weak and passive person that you and I have been joined to. This is an incredibly powerful, almighty, sovereign king of the universe. And he is able to convey and to pass along his strength to us. And so the last part of this verse here, in the strength of his might, I told you that in this passage, Paul goes back to previous parts of Ephesians over and over again. That's what he's doing here. He wants us to understand just how incredible Christ's power is. And God the Father's power is. And so here, he takes us back to Ephesians chapter 1, and he reminds us of the source of Christ's strength. So flip back to Ephesians chapter 1. And in this passage, verse 16, he starts to pray for the Ephesians. He's he's listed all of these benefits early in chapter 1, and now he's going to pray for them. And he desperately wants them to understand these benefits. So verse 16, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in all in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. And then here's the part that Paul's referring back to, verses 19 and on. And he wants you to know and experience in your daily life what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe. 
according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church for the benefit of the church, which is his body the fullness of him who fills all in all. So Paul is praying here that you and I would experience the the shocking power and the unbelievable strength that was demonstrated through Christ's resurrection. We stop and think about what happened in the resurrection. He was brought back to life. And that power, that same power is being exercised in you and on your behalf because of your union with Christ. And so if you go back to chapter 6 and verse 10, what Paul is saying here when he says, be strengthened in the Lord and in the strength of his might, is he's saying there is a a cable, there's a power connection between the resurrection and the power that God exercised in raising Christ from the dead, and that power line goes from the resurrection to you on a daily basis. And that's how you and I are trying to live out the lifestyle of chapters four through six. He wants you to experience that power and be plugged into that power and that strength as you're seeking to obey the commands of chapters 4 through 6. So look again at verse 10. Be strengthened. Be finally, be strong. Be capable. Right? He's praying for capability. He wants you to be able to have the ability to live out your new walk in Christ. So, functionally speaking, this week, how am I capable How do I make a connection to this power, this strength? It's there. It's available. So what do I do to connect to it? How am I strengthened by my union with Christ, the strength that God has demonstrated by raising Christ from the dead? How does that come to me? Well, it comes to you and I when we recognize That through your union with Christ, God has given you everything that you need. It's a matter of faith. It's a matter of trust. It's a matter of belief. So here's what I mean by that. Let me ask you some questions. Do you believe this morning that you are united with Christ and that you have all the benefits that he has described in chapters 1 to 3? All of those are yours. You possess them right now. As you're sitting here this morning, do you believe, do you actually believe that you were dead in your trespasses and sins, that you were in rebellion against God, you were walking according to the course of this world as you came into this world as a baby, and you continued to do that, that was you, and that by God's grace, you have been given new life, and now you actually have new life, new desires, Do you actually believe this morning that sin no longer has definitive authority over you? By the power of the resurrection, you can resist sin, fight against it, and you don't have to obey those desires. 
any longer. And so here, when he says this in verse 10, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might, the way to access that is by believing that what he says about you because of your union with Christ is true. Believe that that's true and then act on that belief. And you will actually take action. You will do the works described in chapters 4 to 6 when you believe that all of these benefits are yours. And I think that's our problem most of the time is we don't actually think these things are ours or we don't even know what benefits are ours. And so, of course, we don't believe that we have access to this sort of power because we don't know it's available or we don't really deep down believe that that God's working in us and through our union with him. And so let me give you a little scenario to try to help this become a little more concrete for you, all right? So let's imagine that Bethany and I have some friends who are from California and are quite wealthy, which would be nice, but let's, let's imagine for a moment. And they tell us that they have purchased a massive and a beautiful home on Lake Michigan. So it's right on the lake, beautiful, it's a vacation home. They just had it built according to their specifications, and it's in the neighborhood of 5,000 square feet. It's a delightful place. They have a, a speedboat at the end of their dock. They have someone come by and stock the fridge full of food, and they text us, and they say, listen, we want you guys to use our lake house, right? Let's imagine it's summer because you probably don't want to use it right now, but we want you guys to use our lake house, okay? Everything's there. Everything's available for you to use. Here's the code to get in, to punch into the front door, and then you'll have access to the house. And you can get in, and you guys can stay there this weekend, no charge. We just want you to use it. Do we actually believe our friends? I mean, we've never seen the house. We've never been over there. Do we believe our friends? How do you know if we believe our friends? We, you know if we actually believe our friends. What proves the reality of our faith is if we get in our car, fill it up with gas, and drive over to Lake Michigan and punch the code into the door. And we believe that this is actually their house <laughs> and that the code will actually work. And they're not setting us up <laughs> with video cameras running so that they can make a great YouTube video that'll get a lot of viral views. If we put the address into our phones and we drive over there and we punch in the code to gain access, it proves the reality of our faith. We show them that we believe when we act as if what they're saying is true. And we use the gifts that they have given us. That's what Paul is telling us essentially to do here. Be strong. Believe in your union with Christ. Believe in the power that he has provided for you. And now use what he has provided. Understand what you have and you have access to. He has equipped you. Now act on those beliefs. Work it out in your life. So here's what I want to do the last few minutes this morning. I want to try to help this to be more practical by, by giving you some specific examples of what this would look like in your life. 
So drawing on passages from Ephesians 1 to 3, let's talk about how several of those will functionally work out in your life if you believe that they're true. And that's the, that's the kicker for us. So three examples of how you can be strengthened by believing the truths of your union with Christ. That's where the strength comes from. It's in believing these truths are actually there and are true for you. So the first one, when I grow in my confidence in my union with Christ, when I start to believe that that's true more and more, and I'm cultivating that understanding of my union with Christ, it will have a significant impact on the way I relate to people around me. It will change how I view others. Because when I know the benefits that I'm receiving undeserved from Christ, and then I look around and I see other people and I understand that they have received benefits from Christ as well through the gospel message, and now God is working in them just like he's working in me, and I know that we've all received grace, that changes my disposition toward other people. That strengthens me. It gives me a motivation to pray for those people. I mean, that's exactly what Paul says. Look back in Ephesians 1. Ephesians 1, verse 15 and verse 16. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. See, he acts on what he believes. He believes that their faith is real, that they've demonstrated that, that Christ has worked in them, and so he prays for them. It gives him the motivation and the ability and the energy to actually act on what is true. And of course, this impacts your relationship with others in many other ways. So rather than gossiping about the shortcoming of other believers, I pray for them. Rather than ignoring others around me, I reach out in kindness and I welcome them. Rather than being frustrated with a fellow believer, I'm honest and forthcoming and I want to see reconciliation. And so being strengthened by my union with Christ means I have the desire and the ability to act in these ways. But if I never make this connection between my union with Christ and your union with Christ then why do I care? Then really it doesn't matter what happens. I don't really understand that we're on the same team and so I have no desire and no strength and no motivation to act on that relationship. So let's look at another way that that you and I can be strengthened in the Lord because of our union with Christ. So our union with Christ means that we are caught up, we're joined to him And now we have a vision and we understand his entire purpose for all of creation. So we we have an understanding of the end game and the end goal of what God is doing through Christ in everything that happens on the earth. We know where God is moving everything. And the end point is where Christ will be the center and he will be Lord and he will be honored above all. 
And so as we understand that and understand that we're joined to him, then we understand that God is working all the details of life, even of my life, toward that end. And so everything that happens to you this week is ultimately for that purpose, that Christ would be exalted and that we would be found in him and with him for all eternity and he would be Lord over all. All the details are moving toward that end. And all the while, you and I, through all of those different events, are being conformed to his image. We're being made like him. I mean, let me show you this one in Ephesians chapter 1 again. Verse 11. You can see the union with Christ language here. In him, Ephesians 1.11, we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. Because of our union with Christ, we understand the end goal, and we know that our lives fit within that end goal. And so there's purpose, and there's direction to everything that happens to you and I throughout our lives. So how does an awareness of God's plan for all of creation and for my sanctification to look like Christ, how does that impact day-to-day life? Well, life throws all sorts of difficulties And circumstances at us. And life will do that this coming week. And it's quite easy to get discouraged. And it's very natural in our human condition to get discouraged and to doubt that anything worthwhile is happening. Bethany and I just found out last week that a former student of ours from our time in California. She was in high school, so she's about maybe 10 years behind us. She's in her late 20s. Her name's Emma. Uh, We found out last week that uh, she has gotten a diagnosis of colon cancer in her late 20s. And she and her husband have two biological children. And six months ago, they just adopted three little girls. So they have five little girls under the age of six in their family. So what gives you the the strength? What gives you the motivation to endure something like that? I mean, we're watching her husband, Nick, uh, on, you know, videos talking about how they're trusting the Lord in the midst of this and as they're getting results back from tests and everything. And how do you do that? How do you not just collapse under the weight of that? You are and they are being strengthened emotionally and spiritually by God's power because they realize that that event fits within God's plans. They don't know all the reasons why. They don't know the ins and outs. They don't know exactly what's going to happen over the next few months and years. But they know that God's plan is to make them holy. And they know that ultimately God works everything in the universe in order to honor Christ and to bring his people to be like him. For the benefit of the church, he exercises his power. And so they can look at that and they can say, yes, this gives us strength and purpose to be able to endure something like this. 
Lastly, let me give you another example of how this works. Our union with Christ means that you and I are redeemed by his blood. And we are given the forgiveness of sins. Go back to chapter 1 again and look at verse 7. In him, you can see that language again of union with Christ. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. Redemption Forgiveness come to us because we are in him, because we're united with him. So how does that recognition, I mean, that sounds pretty doctrinal, right? Redemption, forgiveness, those are theological words. So how does that recognition, understanding and believing that those things are true for you, how does that impact your life this coming week? How does it give you strength and empower you and motivate you? And give you the ability to obey this week. Well, redemption, to be redeemed, means that you have been purchased at a cost out of slavery. It means that someone has paid the price and redeemed you out of slavery. This is exactly what happened to Israel when they came out of Egypt. They were redeemed at the cost of the Passover lambs and their blood. And verse 7 says, we are redeemed, we are bought out of slavery at the cost, verse 7, of the blood of Christ. It is his blood that has purchased our redemption. And that redemption, that freedom, that cost gives us, verse 7, the forgiveness of our trespasses, the forgiveness of our sins. They are no more. They are wiped away. They're gone. You're not responsible for them anymore. Because they're covered. Atonement has been made for them. Satisfaction has been secured. So how does that truth motivate you and I and empower you this week? You have access to that truth through your union with Christ. It's true of you. So how does that motivate you? Well, the reality is that you have been moved from the kingdom of darkness, from enslavement to sin to complete freedom from sin. Sin no longer has authority. It can no longer dominate you and own you and dictate what you do. It no longer can control you. That's what redemption means. Sin cannot enslave you. It means that you don't have to give in to sin this week. That you have the motivation, the strength in Christ through your union with him, to say no and to walk away from sin. You don't have to obey its passions and its desires. You can access the power of God in those moments. That is objectively true of you if you're a believer this morning. That's what's true. But oftentimes we don't access that power that strength, that ability, and that motivation because we don't really believe the promises of our union with Christ. We don't appropriate these benefits and think that these are true of us. We're not connecting ourselves to these truths. We're ignoring them or downplaying them. So let me read you something, a quote from Paul uh, or Brian Chapel on this passage that I found is so helpful. He's talking about this 
functional you know, reality that sometimes I just don't, I don't feel like this is true of me. I see these benefits in Ephesians 1 to 3, and I just, ah. Here's what he says. Our minds protest. This is not the way I feel when we're confronted by sin. I feel that I am not able to resist. I have fallen before and have resolved with all my willpower that I will not fall again. But then I have. Do not feel that this resurrection power is mine. And then listen to this. We feel this way because no greater vestige of our former nature clings to us than the doubt that our new nature is real and that the God who have it is more powerful or gave it is more powerful than any foe. It's because we don't really think that his power is at work in us and it's real and it's genuine and that we have these benefits. That is why Paul prepares us for spiritual battle with the truth of God's certain relationship and the reality of our resurrection power. Faith in these is essential if we are to enter the battlefield with confidence. And this is why we've spent so much time on this verse this week. I know it's only one verse. But here's the thing about this passage of armor, okay? Our default position is to come to this passage and to believe that these pieces of armor are something that you and I have to work really hard to obtain. And that we have to do everything we can to put these pieces of armor on. And if you lack one of these pieces of armor, well, you're in trouble. And you're not going to make it. But that's not what it says. It starts here in verse 10 for a reason. Before we can even enter into spiritual battle, Paul calls us to be confident, to believe in our position in Christ and in his work for us. Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Go back to these basic truths in your lives. This is where the battle really starts. Preach these truths to yourself. Cultivate faith in them. And cultivate faith in the God who has poured out his grace on you over and over again and plans to do that for all of eternity. And that will bring strength and motivation and power. And as you'll see as we get into the pieces of armor, this is the armor of God. This is armor that he wears And you'll see that in the book of Isaiah, where the Messiah puts on this armor before we ever even have access to it. And we are only able to put this on and to appropriate it because he's already wearing it on our behalf. And so that's the reality of this passage. Believe in what is true of you because of your union with Christ. Go there and start there and rely on God's power at work in you. Let's pray. Father, we are so quick, I am so quick to try to do everything myself, to try to fix it on my own, to try to motivate myself in my own strength and in my own willpower and my own ability 
But this text reminds us this morning that our only strength, our only capability comes in you. It's because we've been joined to you and because you've already won the victory. You have given us redemption. You've given us forgiveness of sins. You are accomplishing your purposes and we are along for the ride. And we know that everything that happens to us happens to us with that end in mind. And so I pray that you would give us the ability, the faith to trust these things, to rest in your work that has already been accomplished for us. We don't have to earn favor with you. We don't have to earn forgiveness of sins. We don't have to accomplish redemption. We can't free ourselves. It's all by your grace and by your kindness to us. And so I pray this morning you would help each one of us to learn how to respond in faith to this reality. We thank you for all you've done. It's in Christ's name we pray.